HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. HRN is food radio supported by you. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. Today's program is brought to you by Corin, a supplier of Japanese chef knives and restaurant supplies. For more information, visit corin.com. Welcome to Japanese. I'm your host, Akiko Tema, a food writer and the director of the New York Japanese Culinary Academy, which promotes a deep understanding of Japanese cuisine in America. We are broadcasting live from Brooklyn, New York. This show is all about Japanese food and food culture. We say sushi at every deal in the supermarket, but what is beyond sushi? We hear dashi ramen izakaya, but what exactly are they? Japanese food is still a mystery for many people, and I try to demystify it in this program with my good guests. And my guests today are uh, Brandon Dom and Brian Pollan, co-owners of Brooklyn Kura, uh, the very first sake brewery in New York, which opened in 2017 at the Industry City in Brooklyn, New York. They joined us on episode 105 in December 2017 and episode 178 in November 2018 and discussed the unique concept of the Brooklyn Kura and how they naturally incorporate the spirit of traditional Japanese sake making into their craft sake style. So and since then, Brooklyn Kura has been growing successfully and some of our listeners may have seen its sake labels at Japanese and non-Japanese restaurants as well as local retailers. And Brian and Brandon have joined us today to discuss their newly expanded sake brewery, along with how their sake production uh, has and has not changed since they opened the brewery six years ago, their collaborations with Japanese sake breweries, including the premier brand Hakkai-san, the future of American crowd sake industry, and much, much more. But before we start, Japan is available on the Heritage Radio Network website, as well as on iTunes, Stitch, and Spotify as a podcast. So please go to iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, whichever you listen to, and subscribe to Japan Needs. And please write a review. We, we truly appreciate your feedback. Now let's start a conversation with Brian Pollan and Brandon Don. Hello, Brian. Hello, Brandon. Welcome back to the show. Hey, how are you? Thanks for having us back. Right. So I really have to say first, uh, congratulations. This is such a big six years of progress, and you got a new, bigger um, sake brewery, so we'll discuss later. Yeah, we've been very, very lucky and um, have had incredible support from the sake industry and community to, to make the progress we have. 
So this is Brian. And you guys are always so modest, and that's another reason you've been so successful too. So、uh, for listeners who have not listened to episode 105 in December 2017 and episode 178 in November 2018, tell us about your background and how did you get into sake and、um, end up working together to build a great sake brewery in Brooklyn? Go for it, Brandon. <laughs> All right. Well,、um, my background is I'm a research scientist and, and I've always had an interest in fermentation.、Um, and, and then when I met Brian, I met Brian for the first time in Japan. We had a chance to travel around Japan for the first time.、Um, and I think we'd both been to a lot of wineries and breweries, but walking into a traditional sake brewery in Japan、um, was a, a new experience for us. It was different than just drinking sake. Here in the States, you know, seeing how it's done, you know, smelling the smells there,、um, uh, and, and just seeing everyone putting a batch together, I think、uh, had a big impact on us. So <clears throat> we left with that memory and, and continued talking about it and uh, uh, eventually changed our careers. And, and, and then we're sake makers now.、Mm. <laughs> Right.、Um, yeah. So, the,、um, by the way, listeners,、uh, <laughs> so Brandon used to create、uh, cancer drugs and now he's making something edible. Yeah. <laughs> What a, a different、change. kind of drug. <laughs> oh, that's true. That is true. <laughs> Good drug. All right. Sorry.、Uh, so, Brian. Oh, no, not a problem.、Um, so,、uh, Brian Poland, my life before this,、um, I used to run a product and technology organization for American Express. and And as Brandon mentioned, I mean, just the, the impact of seeing a, a functioning brewery in Japan drove us to start thinking about how do we make these, make sake at home just for fun or our own personal joy. And then seeing the, the quality we were able to produce at home gave us the confidence to, to raise the money and put the plan together and, and, and leave our jobs to start this adventure.、Mm, right. Yeah, I always have a good、uh, impression about how、uh, complementary you guys are personally and you know, the, the business background. And、uh, I totally understand why you came such a long way. So, but what a big change. And、uh, one trip to Japan changed the whole thing in your life. So that's exciting. Maybe you can write a book、uh, sometime. We got, we got work to do right now. <laughs> Too much work. Right, that's true. So, and you opened Brooklyn Kura in 2017.、Uh, so, what is the concept of Brooklyn Kura? And、uh, is there any shift in the concept since、uh, the opening to now? So, so, really, I mean, we've always set out to do one basic, basic thing, which is to produce the best quality sake that we can.、Um, we think fundamentally that sake is delicious and that the more people have, that have local access to it, The more people will recognize that. And as a result, the better for both ourselves as a company and the broader sake industry. And, and that kind of ethos or mantra or、so、like basic goal has, has not changed. In fact, actually, we've, we've really refocused on it in terms of production and the way we communicate our sakes with our new tap room and our sake study center. Mm, right. Yeah, we discussed、uh, the Sake Study Center as well later.、Um, so,、uh, how, how do you,、um, well, what's your philosophy of sake making? 
I think I think one of the things we're also trying to do is is just make sake much more familiar uh, to Americans. Uh, it seems like sake has been trying to be a thing in the United States and and elsewhere outside of Japan for a long time, um, and it's it's confusing for Americans who who can't speak or read Japanese to, to select a bottle. Um, and, and so we're kind of, you know, we're, we're basically copying what, what beer and wine did in the United States. Beer and wine were things from France and Germany um, until Americans started making it um, and making it locally and having like a local pub or, or a local winery. Um, and that just made it much more familiar uh, uh, for Americans and, and safer to uh, try new things. So, so we use, you know, we're, we're an American sake brewer. We use American grown rice. We use the water from Brooklyn. Um, and in, and we present our sake without any unnecessary Japanese words or, or, or language. Um, and, and, and I think our tap room really feels approachable and comfortable. Like it, it, it's like a beer bar or a wine bar. Right. So um, you really hit the important point because I think it used to be before you opened the Brooklyn Kura, uh, Japanese sake still needed kind of interpretation through Japanese restaurants mainly. And you made uh, the sake as something very Brooklyn cool. <laughs> and I started to see, um, you know, uh, I see your labels in retail shops and restaurants, but it's it's not sake from the past pass from from Japan to here is something cool to drink and uh, I, I really think one of the biggest achievements you, you guys created was positioning of Japanese sake it's something cool it's not from the past or history it's something um, it's just delicious and cool to drink and also you respect the tradition so yeah I, I'm so glad you guys uh, decided to Switch your careers and <laughs> do something, this amazing thing. We are most of the time, too. Most of the time. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, so what do you call your style of sake? Um, well, it, I, think, I think, you know, as, as sake making is growing outside of Japan, um, people are approaching it from all different directions. Um, you know, there's... there's <clears throat> some people who are doing really experimental stuff or kind of uh, beer fusion um, or, or, or like fruit fusion kind of drinks. And, and we, you know, we really wanted to, to present to consumers uh, many uh, who are first time drinkers of sake, like an accurate representation of what sake is. Mm-hmm. Um, so we tend to, to go heavily on the traditional um, style of sake and and that's 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 also because of the market that we operate in right so in addition to to kind of uh, making a traditional style of sake i mean new york city is one of the most vibrant like sake markets in the world with the best breweries in japan distributing their products to new york and so in order for us to have like like compelling conversations with retailers and restaurants, we really need to be able to produce a, a world-class quality of sake um, in a traditional way. And, and, and in doing so, get the confidence of the industry, their support, and, and eventually and the placements we need to survive as a business. Mm, 
Right. I think that's very important because um, like for sushi, uh, California rolls and spicy rolls made sushi more known and available for spending decades. But Japanese sake industry, traditional industry, has been shrinking so fast. Like to merely like 50 years from 4,000 kuras, now only around thousands operating. So we don't have time. So you're presenting the nature and the essence of traditional Japanese sake Um in a very approachable way. So I think um, I would put your style of sake as traditional and explore something um, new, like new East, um, you know, new elements. And some. Uh, sometimes you do playful uh, production we discussed in the past episodes. So, yeah. yeah. So do you think uh, you're going to maintain that traditional um, style of sake along with something more creative? I, I mean, I think we enjoy, um, uh, you know, sort of doing all things. You know, we we have, we have. One other thing we're trying to do is is to show people that sake isn't just one thing. That there is, you know, a spectrum of different styles of sake. That they taste different. That 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 they smell different. Um, that you can drink some cold, some warm. <clears throat> so you know, we have we have like taps in our tap room. Um, um, and it's, it's really, we're saying, you know, it's, it's as varied, it's more subtle, but it's as varied as like, you know, having a stout or an IPA or a Pilsner, Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's, it's, it's more than one thing. And there's, 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 uh, there's a lot to learn about and we're trying to intrigue people with that. Mm, Right. And, uh, based on your scientific mindset, I think you're not trying to be playful or like creative. You just want to explore what, um, those, um, you know, yeast and the live animals can do to improve the quality and taste. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, also, I think, you know, we, in production, we do like to have fun. If it's, you know, we do do small batches and we think of different concepts and, and, and stories to tell about it. Uh, so we, we keep it interesting for ourselves as well. Mm, right. Okay. So, and uh, so speaking of your sake, um, you know, well, listeners who have not tasted your sake. So what were your signature sake and then what do you offer besides them at the tap room? Brian? <laughs> uh, um, so, so we, I mean, I mean, to Brandon's point, we make a range of things because that's what keeps us interested. But in general, um, I mean, to now we've really focused our attention on, on namazake. So, so these are unpressed pasteurized sakes that have a little, bit more limited distribution. Um, they are kind of fresh tasting, um, floral and, and delicious, and they're very accessible. And you can find, um, those sakes, um, around, uh, around New York and, and around New York Metro. Um, we've also over the past what, five years developed a range of limited release sakes that, that, that kind of, that, tell the story that we just described, which well, the range from um, a daikinjo we call cat skills, which is, which is beautiful and embodies the water and is very traditional style all the way through to our occidental, which is a traditionally made junmai that's lightly dry hop. So those have been kind of the range of our products and our intention to now, as we 
um, develop into this new brewery, we're going to have more tools at our disposal, which doesn't mean we'll change kind of the essence of what we do or the way we make sake fundamentally, uh, but allow us to offer products that maybe have a little bit more shelf life. So maybe double pasteurized, like the sakes that we uh, import from Japan. Uh, and as a result, they'll be able to live more freely around the world um, in in, in, in kind of ambient temperature um, and in a way that, that retailers and restaurants are accustomed to caring for, for sake as a product. Mm, right. Okay. So um, who is drinking your sake? Uh, you now have a wide distribution to retail shops and restaurants. So I'm very curious who's drinking it's, sake. It, it's really a broad range of people. There's no specific age group. It's people who have an affinity for Japan or for fermentation or for the experience of visiting a local brewery, taproom, winery. And, and so there's many people, people who, have experienced, who are experienced sake for the first time and were driven just out of curiosity are people who are your world's experts that have been operating breweries in Japan for 10 years that are visiting New York to explore the market and coming to see what we're up to. So in our tap room, I mean, all of those audiences are, 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 are we think about in terms of the experience and the offerings we have available. And that's also true in retailers. We have the kind of the, the Brooklyn natural wine retailers. And then we also have the more traditional retailers that are starting their, 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 their sake selection for the first time and very interested in offering something local. Um, that's also true um, with the restaurants we work with. Some of them are progressive, farm-to-table, mission-star restaurants. And then the, on the other side, there are these um, traditional Japanese-owned ramen spots that, that, that carry our products. So there's no simple answer. I think ultimately it's people who have the same passions we do, which is for like, like quality products that are made with care and intention um, that have some connection to their passions or interests um, and, and are delicious. And so that's really, I mean, the things we try, we try and achieve. Right. Yeah. Again, uh, since you guys started to grow, uh, I started to see uh, Japanese sake, your label, and even not your label. I think uh, the market is more, it's okay to have Japanese sake in non-Japanese restaurants, and uh, which is cool because Japanese sake is very friendly. Uh, with any almost any kinds of food. So I think you are inspiring the whole consumer market as well. well I appreciate that. Yeah. So, okay, so we'll take a quick break here. And when we come back, we'll discuss uh, Brooklyn Kura's newly expanded facilities and its fascinating collaborations with other sake and non-sake brewers. So please stay with us. Today's program is brought to you by Corin, a supplier of Japanese chef knives and restaurant supplies. Corin is proud of their Japanese culture and traditions, but they want you to know that their products are not just for Japanese restaurants. Their knives and tableware bring out the best qualities of food from every culture and fit into every restaurant from French to Pan-Asian to American. And that is why they're located in New York City, where people from every country in the world come to eat. Corin's Tribeca showroom is home to the most extensive collection of Japanese chef knives in the world, including Japan. Stop by to view their exquisitely designed tableware and the rarest natural sharpening stones. 
They have a whole range of knife services from repair and rust removal to reshaping and realigning. Corin is dedicated to this ideal, bringing the highest quality Japanese design to your table so you can experience the unparalleled quality of Japanese craftsmanship in your home or restaurant. For more information, visit Corin.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Japan Eats on Heritage Video Network on HRN. I'm your host, Akiko Katayama. My guest today is Brandon Dom and Brian Poen, co-owners of Brooklyn Cra and the very first sake brewery in New York, which opened in 2017 at Industry City in Brooklyn, New York. Okay. Um, so after the tremendous success over the last six years, you have expanded your production facilities,、uh, also in the industry city in Brooklyn. So, could you tell us what is new in the new facilities? Well, I mean, I'll start with, with our, our, the production side.、Um, so, we have a significantly larger、uh, production facility,、um, and we have、um, uh, new,、uh, better equipment. Um, I, you know, I think, I think、uh, you know, as our skill at sake making has grown, we've made better sake, but it's also, it's also very difficult to make sake on a homebrew scale where we started off. And then we had sort of an intermediate practice space.、Um, and then we went into our first like, real brewery. And, and at each point where the scale grew,、um, I think our, our quality improved. Um, and now we have, you know, we thought about kind of the machines and, and things we need to continue that. So now we have a way to handle our rice, to, to wash it and, and, and soak it and steam it on a larger scale and then, and then quickly cool it.、Um, you know, what we've been doing in, in, our, in our first facility is, is we've just had to lay out the rice and let it cool, which is difficult in New York in August. <laughs> um, so,、yeah. so now we can, we can like really kind of dial in exactly what we want. We have better temperature control.、Um, you know, we have, we have better way to clean things.、Um, uh, uh, you know, uh, a, a kind of a newer system for our koji growing.、Um, so that's, that's all kind of coming together right now. That, that, that we've been putting that together for the last year and we're getting close to, to starting to make some big batches. Mm-hmm. Well, how many, time, how many times bigger、uh, is the new facility compared to the old one?、Uh, what is that in square feet, Brian? How many times bigger is it?、Um, so, we're, I mean, so we're in our original space is around 3,500 square feet. Our new space、um, uh, is around 20,000 square feet. But that's broken, <laughs> that's broken up into our new tap room, which is around twice as large. Um, we have some offices and laboratory production offices and, 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 and offices um, um, in the space.、Um, but I mean, we were very, we were able to be very intentional. Now, we've, we've had to make some revisions to the original plans around this space、um, because just post COVID and during COVID, the costs of raw materials and the impact on supply chain and logistics. Um, put a lot of pressure on our ability to kind of build the facility that we originally planned. But because of the partnership we have with Industry City, the great contractor、um, that we work with called MNC, and then,、uh, and then just a partnership with Hankai San, we were able to kind of focus and, and, and take the best aspects of our ideal brewery and execute on them in, in our current space. So it's much larger. From a, from a production capacity perspective, I mean, we're around five to, to 10 times 
uh, the capacity in the new facility. Um, but we will be growing into that capacity as we develop new products and, and new markets and, and begin exporting, et cetera, just driving demand. Um, um, and then also as we begin doing things like making sake for other people in, in, in the form of collaboration and or um, to support their own brands and needs as, as they want to also have an impact on the industry in the U.S. Mm, wow, that sounds ex- very exciting. Um, so, um, well, let's talk also about this educational program you mentioned earlier. So uh, you offer extensive educational programs for both industry professionals and the public at your new facilities, and the space is called the Sake Study Center at Brooklyn Kura. So what are you trying to achieve through these educational programs? Yeah, so we, I mean, so first and foremost, I mean, we were, uh, Timothy Sullivan joined our team um, as the director of education of the Sake Study Center. Simultaneously, he is also the global brand ambassador of our our strategic investment partner, Hakai-san. And really, I mean, we all think that one of the fundamental challenges that sake has um, um, and obstacles to becoming a global beverage is around education. And so not just consumer education, but also industry education, which ranges from kind of um, distributors and their their professionals that are out there kind of making placements um, all the way through retailers and restaurants and how they talk about and describe sake and promote sake in their everyday interactions with customers. And so the Sake Study Center is really geared to kind of give us a platform to educate not just about Brooklyn Cura, um, but about the, the broader um, industry and other producers um, across the the spectrum across the supply chain. Um, and and we've, we've had our first Sake 101 um, last week. Um, we have our first um, Sake server certification on December 4th. Um, we've had a lot of interest from, 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 uh, from retailers and restaurants around the, around the process and the offerings. And it just feels like um, because we have some additional time and resources, the right thing to invest in um, on behalf of the industry, really. So we're, we're launching um, uh, events with the National Tax Authority from Japan. From We're working with the Japanese consulate and, and, and consulate general and the embassy. I mean, we've been very lucky. And, and the education center, the Sake Study Center, is really, I mean, at the heart of what we want to do in this next phase of, of our business. Mm, wow. So you cover all the participants of this whole sake industry from even Japan. So, oh, that's very hopeful. And also, of course, Timothy Sullivan is uh, kind of uh, as important as now. And John Gontner, who has influenced the sake, sake industry uh, outside of Japan. So, yeah, Timothy Sullivan is such a great person and a great teacher, experienced and uh uh, his uh, Sake Revolution podcast is so funny. <laughs> it's like a Japanese manzai kind of, uh, <laughs> right? So, yeah, this is awesome. So, so what kind of uh, programs? I see uh, the sakestudiescenter.com website, the courses. So one is introduction to sake. I'd assume this is to the consumers. And uh, there's another one, sake server certification. Exactly. So we we will be launching. These are the programs that will be available now. Timothy is spending 
a lot of his time thinking about the programs that we will launch and the the partnerships that we'll launch in the near future. Um, but there will be a combination of in-person educational opportunities at the brewery. Um, and there will also be um, uh, online courses, including the Sake Server Certification and Sake 101 for folks that aren't fortunate enough um, to have access to the brewery um, and can't, can't make that trip. Um, so we will be talking about the Sake Study Center more and the programming more as, as we develop new offerings. But in the meantime, for retailers and restaurants that are interested in, the, in a focused um, understanding of the service and, and history of sake and, and the basics around the methods used to produce it, um, feel free to reach out and, uh, and we'd love to host you at one of these programs. Mm, right. So listeners, if you're interested, that's uh, com. Yeah. So it sounds like you created a um, kind of community or the cross point for everybody who wants to know uh, more about sake and taste, appreciate sake and want to help people to appreciate sake. So it, it, I think it's, it sounds like a school name, <laughs> but it's not. <laughs> it's more like a um, community you just have built and offers in even a bigger community connecting all those yeah so we so we host michael tremblay and his um sake scholars program and we host john godner and his uh, advanced sake professional program i mean we really we want we want to host um um, the Sake School of America, we really want all educators to have access to the New York market and be able to use our center um, as a platform for their programs as well. So we're really trying to be like community members, active community members, um, because we, we believe fundamentally that's what it's going to take for this industry to, to kind of transition to where we all want it to be. Mm, right. Uh, it's almost like a bridge. You're bridging uh, j- traditional Japanese sake culture and the global potential uh, bigger consumer and the professional uh, sake community, which I think is very important because physically you have this space, new beautiful space, and um, you are, I think everybody's having fun doing it. So <laughs> yeah, keep me posted. I- I'm very curious about this. Right. So um, on top of it, you have worked with traditional sake breweries in the past and have built great relationships. So maybe you can give us some examples uh, and how you have worked with uh, those Japanese people and running sake breweries. You, you want me to go, Brandon? Go ahead. Go ahead. Let's <laughs> um, see this. We like to see each other because we're very good at visual cues. Now this is not. Um, so, so, um, so I mean, I mean, we've we've had. I mean, it's hard to even describe the number of breweries who, even if there haven't been active collaborations, have come to visit us and 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 talk to us about their process with respect to ours and share their insights, which has helped advance our abilities and relationships with respect to making sake. But that's that's fundamental. In addition to collaborations, active collaborations with companies, uh, breweries that are are doing very well at advocating for sake like Nambu Bijan. Um, we, we also were able to do something very special, and that's um, partner with a storied century-old brewery from Niigata um, called Hakai-san. And Hakai-san um, is our strategic investor and um, partner in this new brewery and, and the future of Brooklyn Kura. 
Um, and we are working together on many different fronts. Um, but I think the remarkable thing is that um, a traditional Japanese company had the confidence in, in us um, to kind of lay the foundation for a very impactful moment of, on sake in, in the U.S. And this facility is a reflection of that. So, mm. so, so the, it's hard to capture all the relationships and people who have supported us um, and have lent their, their time and energy to our success. Um, but the culmination of that has really been this partnership with Hakkai-san and our ability to enter this next stage in our, our brewery. Mm. So what kind of uh, uh, actual collaborations are you planning uh, with Hakkai-san? Well, I mean, I'll talk from the production side. Um, you know, they've they've been uh, uh, advising us on on just the planning of the brewery, the equipment. Um, uh, you know, and if for me, you know, going from the scale that we're at to this new scale is is a challenge, and and they're already at that scale and larger. Um, so they they bring a, a, a tremendous amount of knowledge. Um, that's that's going to be great for us. Um, they're also, um, have a few brewers that are going to come out, um, and, and, uh, helping us work at this new scale. So, so, you know, one, I think, I think our sake, you know, is people are still going to recognize it as Brooklyn Kura. It's going to stay the same, but, but it's becoming collaborative. You know, we're, we're, you know, we're, we learned on our own. We're not that old. And, and now we're working with people with, um, you know, between them with hundreds of years of knowledge. So, so, um, you know, I'm excited to see, you know, how this fusion, what this fusion into producing. Mm, interesting, right? Because uh, Hakkai-san in Niigata, uh, Niigata is really, um, you know, the big area of sake production. But uh, they have really a big open-minded I would say attitude or strategy, having Timothy Sullivan, Timothy Sullivan, uh, like two, four years as a, a trainer. And uh, they are open-minded. Some breweries are very close. They try not to have anybody from outside the country. But I think uh, Hakkai-san has been very forward-minded and global-minded uh, uh, there's a brewery, so that's why we see, um, I mean, many Japanese restaurants in this country or abroad. Hakkai-san label is very popular, and of course, uh, the sake is really a premium, high quality. So, uh, but I had to say though, they are looking at Brooklyn Kula as kind of uh, the stage to stay more global or to be more global, because I think it's very uh, mutual in terms of which part yeah, can we- help. We've been, I mean, I mean, think about it. I mean, whether it be this kind of production collaboration, I mean, it's very important to us to kind of uh, maintain our identity and independence and, and kind of the style and range of products that we make. Um, but avoiding obvious mistakes and kind of leveraging our expertise is critical. Beyond that, I mean, how do we sell products together? How do we think about positioning a new company and brewery like ours with respect to a century-old brewery um, that make very, very different products than we do? How do we develop um, uh, um, uh, new markets? How do we think about Brooklyn Cora in Japan, right, in the context of traditional breweries um, for export? So there's a range of of different things that we discuss regularly um, in addition to production. And, and it's just been really rewarding, um, 
It, I mean, there, there's a large cultural gap often, and, and it's just the, the strength of the partnership and the culture of trust that allows us to, to work together effectively and efficiently. And it's, pretty, it's a pretty remarkable thing. Mm, right. So um, I thought when you guys opened this uh, Kura, I thought there's going to be a division between traditional Japanese breweries industry and and an American uh, or non-Japanese. But then in, instead of it, you're creating uh, some kind of uh, culture to collaborate and uh, the whole sake industry uh, as one unit growing uh, globally and also that growth abroad is just really inspiring Japanese domestic market. So, uh, which is amazing. And I think what you guys are doing is probably more than you think you're doing. <laughs> so I'm so glad um, you went to the Japanese wedding trip that you met um, <laughs> <laughs> 2013 or something, like a long time ago. It's a long time ago. Yeah. Right. So that one trip changed the whole Navy stack industry. All right. So, uh, so, this is interesting. So your collaborations are not limited to Japanese partners. For example, you created a fascinating, fascinating beverage called Oishi Cider with the famed New York winery and cider maker, Wolfer Estate in Long Island. So what is Oishi Cider and what is your motivation to work with a non-sake producing partner? Yeah, I mean, um, <clears throat> that came out of uh, uh, my interest in seeing sake yeast um in different beverages. So, so, uh, sake yeast is Saccharomyces cerevisiae. It's, it's this yeast is used in beer, wine, and sake, but, but they're all sort of on three slightly different branches. Um, and, and they have been, you know, selected by humans over hundreds or thousands of years in different parts of the world. Um, and I just think, you know, you know, sake yeast, has its own unique characteristics. Um, it's it's a it's a shockingly good at fermenting at cold temperatures. Um, it gives different aromas. Um, so I'm just very interested in seeing sake used in in sake yeast used in different beverages. And and so um, you know just through through different wine folks, I was able to connect with with Wolfer and say, hey, what do you think about? Um, making a making first we were thinking about a wine with with uh, sake yeast uh but roman really wanted to uh, do cider with it so so we you know we were hopeful that it would create some some new kinds of aromas and 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 a, and a, a unique kind of cider and i and I, and I think it really did mm, yes it was <laughs> so i got a chance to speak to uh uh, the winemaker Roman Roth and cider maker, of course. Uh, and his wine is very uh, ingredient-driven, very clean and um, very honest to the ingredients. And I really never enjoyed cider itself in the past, like as much as I, I try this oishi cider. It's very subtle but deep and uh, dangerously smooth. And I think <laughs> <laughs> I think he's uh, creating the next batch um, right now. It's, I think it's coming uh, to the market sometimes. So, so I'm really waiting for the OEC cider uh, this year again. So, okay. And uh, so this is a very exciting time for American sake industry. As we see dozens of craft sake breweries in the country and uh, Brooklyn Craft has been a strong force to lead and push the prosperity of the industry. So 
How do you predict the future of American sake, and especially now Dasai Blue uh, from Dasai opened uh, American brewery upstate New York? So the things are happening. So how, what's your prediction? Um, I mean, I would say that as long as so, a good example of the progress that's being made. Is we had a sake stakeholder summit in Washington D.C. led by the Sake Brewers Association of North America, and a huge range of, of of industry professionals came out to participate and discuss the future of the industry. And there feels to be a lot of like collective momentum around around discussing opportunities and 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 making projections about where we want. The industry to be and how what is required for us to get there, but ultimately I think that collected effort is going to result in in more investment in the domestic market in the U.S. market, but also in the international market, um, which will hopefully drive demand, which will result in kind of greater opportunities for Japanese breweries to sell their products around the globe and companies like ours um, to 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 begin to to. Gain success and make further investment to have an increasingly large impact. Companies like Asahi Shoes are opening up a facility in Hyde Park next to the CIA, um, and all the talent and training that goes on there is 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 only positive for our industry. The more young restaurant and industry professionals that that gain familiarity with sake, sake production, and its its wonderful interactions with food and and just Moments in your life that are are joyous. Um, the more of those professionals that are going to enter into the world with that knowledge and and influence what their restaurants and retail shops um, do and order and place on the menu. So, I mean, we're we're in an echo chamber, which is clear, but um, we're very bullish that uh, we can have an impact on the international market based on what we're doing and companies like Asahi Shuzo and Hakai-san are doing. Uh, at the same time, we're hopeful that impact um, kind of reflects back on Japan, which which also um, needs to invest in the domestic sake market um, to support these thousand breweries um, that are dependent on it today mm. for their success. Right. Yeah, interesting. And uh, Shinobu Kato of the Kato Sake Works, uh, which is one of the three New York sake breweries, um, I, when I went to his uh, brewery, uh, it's a new, he, he expanded his brewery too. And uh, it was, I thought, I, I just almost passed by because it looked like um, kind of cocktail bar or craft beer bar instead of a sake bar because people are sitting as drinking drinks, not Japanese sake. It's the part of the community that's drinking good stuff. So, yeah, I think uh, something's changing very quickly in a very, very um, happy way in America. Um, and uh, I see that Japanese sake breweries are sometimes inspired of wine industry or, you know, craft sake, uh, craft brew, um, beer industry. So do you think you guys are going to um, kind of inspire Japanese traditional breweries too in the future. Yeah, I mean, I think I think we 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 you know people are definitely aware of us in Japan. Um, I think I think they're excited to see um, uh, people outside of Japan making sake because it you know it's it's a it's it's if, if they're makers it's other people you know being passionate about what they're passionate about. Um, but, but also sake has been on the decline in Japan. And, and so they see, 
they see new markets opening up. Um, and, you know, we, we've, we've, uh, we've definitely um, interacted with different breweries. Uh, uh, we've had some breweries uh, kind of do a little homages to us and, and uh, um, make some sakes based on, on kind of the concepts that we're doing. So it's, it's, it's very flattering. <laughs> mm, right. Um, well, I think uh, all the, there are many reasons why Japanese sake industry, domestic industry is shrinking because the generation change. My, my oh. father's generation drinking a lot of sake and the corporate <laughs> setting too. Um, but, you know, the generation shifted and then the younger generation do not drink alcohol. I think it's a global trend. And also, I mean, it's hard to succeed uh, sake breweries. It's already down to around a thousand breweries because it's a hard work. Um, so it's not that sake is not delicious or unpopular. It's just the whole market is changing. So if you create a cool trend like you guys doing outside of Japan, I think it's going to be a good thing. Younger, younger generations will think, oh, wow, that's really cool. Maybe we should drink sake. And that's my hope. And I think you're creating that you know, wave of um, positive change. So I really hope um, you're going to do something more interesting, uh, keep doing it and inspire Japanese uh, whole market of consumers. So um, what are your plans and dreams uh, other than sitting down at the new brewery? I mean, uh, this really is kind of a dream. I mean, it oftentimes is very challenging and, and practically difficult. Um, I mean, we, I'm, I won't speak for Brandon, but I, I think we, we both genuinely enjoy our lives in Brooklyn um, and kind of being a part of something that's having an impact beyond um, the, the, the immediate company that we we've created. And so I think as long as we can, create a healthy business and continue to have a positive impact and meet some of the exceptional people that we're meeting on a regular basis. Um, I think, I think uh, at least for me and, uh, and I, I wouldn't imagine Brandon to be that much different. I mean, I think we're living like a, a, a dream in, in many respects. Um, it's been a very rich um, kind of intellectual and cultural process to get us to this point. And I think the next phase um, will require even more thinking, planning, and preparation, but can have a much broader impact. Mm, and more people involved and uh, yeah. people are going to have fun with you guys. So anything to, to add, Brandon? I mean, just I'm, I'm very excited to to work on this new scale. I mean, we, we spent a, a, a long time uh, <laughs> planning this out. I mean, there's a lot of different pieces. It's, you know, you think... Sake brewing is just putting rice in a tank, but like I'm, I'm like a much better electrician now, you know, and a plumber. Um, and, and I've just, you know, been on zoom calls for the last two years with, with Hakai-san production, um, just discussing all the, all the things we need to do to, you know, make great sake that's going to last in the bottle and, and start shipping it around the world. So I'm, I'm really, I'm happy about the work. That, that we've done, but I'm, I'm really looking forward to, to, you know, putting sake out in the world that, that, um, you know, people will think of in the same way of some of the best Japanese sakes. Mm. 
Right. So, uh, Brian, you, you want to say something? So I, I interrupted you. Oh, I was just going to say BD. <laughs> what do you want? <laughs> um, so no, you uh, did. Okay. <laughs> you, you, you're, you're the professional, and you did it perfectly. So my apologies. <laughs> yeah, that's the team. Um, so, uh, so if uh, I'm sure our listeners wants to visit uh, your new tap room, so what's what's operation hours and what we can uh, taste there? Yeah, I, I mean, first I'd love to thank the team. I mean, we have this incredibly talented uh, general manager named Hadley Smith who comes to us from um, some popular restaurants in the city and. Um, um, we have a, a, a new kind of shochu cocktail program here, um, led by our bar manager, Kyle Davis. I mean, some, some good folk coming in. Um, uh, but we have a more, uh, interesting food menu that was developed by our friends at, at Brooklyn Larder. Um, we have our sakes, of course, are the feature and focus. We're able to offer kind of um, sakes made by our friends, including Hakai-san, in addition to the shochu um, cocktail program. We're open Thursday through Sunday, Thursday and Friday from 4 to 9, um, um, Saturday and Sunday from 12 to 9. But we're also doing more like um, – public tours, which you can register for online, semi-private events, um, some more private events, and the educational center. So it's a, it's a pretty comprehensive set mm. of programs in addition to having a stage and live music. I mean, we're really trying to lean into, as you've described, the community aspect of our space, featuring our sakes, but also not limiting the experience to them, um, which has been a lot of fun. Mm, right. And uh, like you said earlier, Industry City is a good place and it has, it's a home to restaurants, retailers, and many other fun um, shops. And it's really worth the trouble. And uh, yeah, I think you well, really found the right place at the right time. And uh, now you have a bigger space. So it's very exciting. Right. So, uh, so where can we find your updates online and on social media? So you can follow us at, at Brooklyn Cora on Instagram. Um, and we, we, we have um, both www.brooklyncora.com and www.sakestudiescenter.com um, as, as resources for folks interested in learning more about what we do. Um, we have subscription service for folks that are interested in experiencing our limited releases throughout the year, um, which we don't produce much of. And it's a special way for us to interact and engage um, our best customers directly. Um, and then they can call us anytime. I mean, we pick up um, and respond to emails really um, with the goal to uh, spread the love for sake. Mm, awesome. Right. So, uh, Again, uh, congratulations and uh, good luck. And you have to keep dreaming for us. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for your support and Thanks. for always giving us an opportunity to talk about what we're doing. Thank I you. look forward to yeah another conversation sometime in the near future. So thanks for joining us today, uh, Brian Brandon. Thank you. Thank you. So listeners, if you have any questions or comments about the show or suggestions for show topics or guests, please contact us at japanese at heritageradionetwork.org or akikwatema.com. Uh, japanese is a weekly program and is always available at heritageradionetwork.org as well as on iTunes, Stitch, and Spotify as a podcast. Engineer is Amen Spenjan, and thanks for listening. I will see you next week.
Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org/slash subscribe.